I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Tuesday, April 18th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Okay, so Jay, the Nature Conservancy of Canada, they went up against cottage developers to secure the largest private island in Lake Superior. And they did this to protect wildlife, which I think is cool. But protecting wildlife doesn't come cheap in a still hot market for lake homes. The island's owner will fetch $7.2 million for the sale. That is a big purchase by the Nature Conservancy. Do you think it's a good deal? Is it worth it? Well, I mean, I don't think they're going to build a cottage on it, so they're not going to live there. But I think um, maybe it is. If that's the price of doing business and you want to conserve land, that may be it. And so kudos to the Nature Conservancy. I guess, you know, it is a hard life to be a cottage developer. Yeah, I don't know. It seems unfair that these not-for-profits trying to protect wildlife have to compete against these kind of big cottage folks, which is, you know, nothing wrong with the cottage. But, you know, if we do want to conserve more land, I feel like that's under the domain of the government, not so much that I shouldn't really be a not-for-profit doing that. Not to get political, but that's my own personal opinion. Well, in California, there were land trusts that were actually sort of tax-funded that did buy property similar to this. So, you know, it's not without precedent that either nonprofits or government agencies would buy land to preserve. I like this idea because you know why? That's the best lake. You know why? Why? It's superior. Yeah, I knew it was coming, but I wanted to give you the chance to, to make the punchline. Brett, I appreciate that. Aside from islands in Lake Superior, what do we have for Peak Palace today? No more Google on Samsung for our first story. For our second story, Hockey Canada gets their funding back. And for our last story, new data on remote work. For our first story, it's not often that Google's parent company Alphabet takes a loss, but yesterday... Shares dropped after news of potential disaster on the AI chatbot front broke. What's the latest in Google search for AI supremacy, Brett? Well, this is a pretty shocking breakup. One of the most shocking breakups since Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen, which I know was personal to you, Jay. Yes. Samsung is actually considering dropping Google as the default search engine on its Android smartphone in favor of Microsoft's Bing, per the New York Times. Google and Samsung's search contract is currently up for negotiation and apparently brings in about $3 billion U.S. annually in revenue for Alphabet. Now, a similar agreement covering Apple devices, which brings in about $20 billion annually for Alphabet, Alphabet is also up for renewal later this year. But it's happening because artificial intelligence, of course. Microsoft's partnership with ChatGPT maker OpenAI has positioned Bing as the front runner for the AI-powered future of search. Some now see Google as kind of a laggard, especially after Bard, which is its chatbot, flopped during its debut. Now, Bing's new AI chat feature has also faced its fair share of criticism, but that's because it was pretty overwhelming, whereas Bard was considered underwhelming. In response, Google has gone Victor Frankenstein mode in the lab, creating life in the form of a new AI-powered features for search that could go public in the U.S. as soon as, well, next month. And here's why it matters. Well, it's important because Google is Google, and it's never really faced any real market competition, you know, owning about 93% of the global search market and all. Samsung's doubt marks the first real sign that Google's unmatched search dominance on your phone is no longer a sure thing. While Bing is still far behind Google, Microsoft reported a marked increase in users since adding AI-enhanced features, passing 100 million daily active users last month. The bottom line, this could end up as a win for consumers as legit competition would motivate search companies to offer better services. The catch is that it gives AI an increasing role in search, which is already making some folks a little bit nervous. For our second story, after 10 months of withholding funding, the feds are hoping the black sheep of Canadian sports has turned a new leaf. Jay, 
This must be about Hockey Canada. It is about Hockey Canada. The federal government has restored funding to the disgraced national sports body Hockey Canada after it met conditions intended to make hockey safer, including committing to the abuse-free sport program, frequent updates on what's being done to change hockey culture, and implementing recommendations from an independent review. Now, to catch you up, the feds pulled funding last June after the fallout surrounding the organization's handling of sexual assault lawsuit involving Canadian Hockey League players in 2018. The scandal led to revelations about Hockey Canada harboring secret funds built up mostly through player registration fees used to settle 21 cases of alleged sexual assault since 1989. Brands then started to flee and the entire board resigned. But Hockey Canada received over $9.4 million in federal funding in 2021, only about 7% of its total funding, compared with over $37 million brought in from sponsorship deals. The bottom line is this. Hockey Canada needs to restore sponsor trust. Unlike federal funding, this doesn't come with a handy checklist of conditions. All top-tier corporate sponsors, including Nike, Tim Hortons, and Scotiabank, suspended funding, with Canadian Tire permanently severing ties, and there's no indication that they plan to backtrack anytime soon. For our third and final story, fair warning to all the hardworking remote workers, including both of us, Brett, this new set of remote work data might actually hurt a bit. So here's what's driving the news, Jay. Workers who come into the office receive more mentoring, formal training, and professional development and learning than their remote counterparts, totaling about 25% more time in overall career development activities per Bloomberg. In the office, workers devoted about 40 more minutes a week to mentoring others, 25 more in formal training, and 15 additional minutes to professional development. It matters because remote work has stuck around largely over worker demands for more flexibility in a tight labor market where they have plenty of options. But data on how it could hurt their career progression may give more leverage to employers trying to lure them back. Next month, RBC, one of Canada's largest employers, will require over 85,000 workers to work in the office for three or four days a week, depending on their role. Banks are no doubt leading the charge. CEOs from J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley have also said young staff need to be on site alongside their experienced colleagues. Here's the bottom line, Brett. What the data really supports is a hybrid arrangement that gives employees a few days a week to mentor and be mentored. Nearly half of workers who can work remotely already have such an arrangement. Over a third are fully on site and 20% are fully remote. Pig Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. Thank you, Brett. Have a great day, Peak Pals. Wait.